Many of you probably remember that movie in 1987 called Wall Street, where, where Gordon Gecko infamously said that greed is good. Today I want you to contrast that with what the Apostle Paul said about greed. He said greed can become God. In Colossians 3, he says that greed can become an idol, can become the, the God in your life. But if you look at those two statements, you notice there's, there's hardly any difference. It's like all of the seven deadly sins. They seem so innocent. They seem so ordinary. They seem so subtle. All you've got to do is take away one letter from good before it becomes God in your life. And so Jesus warns us over and over about the greed that can take over our life. You see, our challenge in this topic is much like our challenge last week when we talked about gluttony. Our our challenge is how much is too much? Uh, Just like last week, you couldn't look around the audience and tell who was a glutton by how much they weighed. You, You can't look around this audience today and tell who's greedy by how much they make. It's a heart matter. And yet it's difficult for us to know where to draw the line, especially in a culture that tells us more and more and more is better. You know, just think about weddings. I saw a statistic in the paper the other day that simply in the last 10 years, the average wedding in America has gone from costing $16,000 to $28,000, where incomes have been leveled. And yet we, we expect we've got to have more. That's where we get in trouble. I kept saying to, to my girls when they were getting married, what happened to cake and peanuts and a few multicolored mints? <laughs> I mean, that seemed like it'd be enough for me. But again, our culture says you've got to have more and more and more. And we don't know where to draw the line. How nice a house can I live in? How nice a car can I drive? How many clothes? Let me even uh, look at this facility. There was a time where many of us had a philosophy in church. I think I did, honestly, that a church building should be as simple and plain as possible. That if a church spent more than that, it was spending too much money. And yet, if I've grown older and I've been in Scripture, I see that God appreciates beauty and that architecture can actually be a tool to help bring us closer to God. But again, where, where is that line where too much becomes too much? Well, here's the good news this morning. Jesus helped us out on this because Jesus talked about money and possessions more than any other topic in the Gospels. And so I want you to open your Bible uh, or your phone to Luke chapter 12. And, And here's my challenge to you. This is what I've been doing this week. I've been reading Luke chapter 12 through Luke chapter 19 over and over because over and over again, this topic of greed comes out. And Jesus can say real quickly here, you got to watch out for this one. I mean, because this one you don't always know. He doesn't say you got to watch out for adultery. Either you're committing it or you're not, and you know it. But when it comes to greed, you've got to be very careful because when do you cross that line? We'll get some good teaching from Jesus this morning. Let's start in Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus did not buy the common line today that he who dies with the most toys wins. 
Jesus did not buy into our consumer society that says you've always got to have better. There's no better illustration than this than the iPhone phenomena. God bless anybody in here who walked in here with an iPhone 4. I mean, you've just got to do better. I actually met somebody at first service with a flip phone. If you have a flip phone today, you do not need this sermon, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. You're okay. And Jesus says, man, you've got to be aware of this. And then he tells a parable. Look at verse 16. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You got it made. But, verse 20, God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will demand it from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And here's the punchline, verse 21. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What's this man's problem? His man's pro- the man's problem, and here's the problem of greed, is that he's obsessed with money and possessions. To be obsessed with something means you're preoccupied with it. It's what when you have free time, you immediately think about it, and you plan about it, and you dream about it. That's what's going on with this man. And so this starts off a whole series of teachings. And what, what I've tried to look for in they, this, these passages is, what are some warning signs of greed in our life? In fact, I, I've seen seven warning signs that I'd like to share with you this morning. Number one. You're always desiring more. That's the core of greed, is that I'm never satisfied with what I have. Psalms 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. What's the the result of that? I shall not want. I love the translation that says, The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I need. Do we believe that? Or have we fallen into the statistic? about Americans, that no matter what your income level is, whether you're making 20000 or 100000 or a million dollars, Americans asked, how much more would you need to be satisfied? And the answer is always what? 10%. If I just could have 10%, I'd be okay. 10%, we'd have some margin in our life. 10%, things would be better. And so we are, we are wired, especially through advertising, to think we've always got to have something else. Well, because let's all be honest here, there is a thrill in a purchase. You, know, you, you experience that? I mean, it's sort of like we were talking about gluttony uh, last week, you know, when you're lonely or tired or empty and, and, and you're looking for, for something to fill that void, you, you can go to the refrigerator. For the person who struggles with greed, you, you, go, you just go buy something. You, you recognize this, this is a crazy statistic. The average American shops 18 hours a week. That's crazy. Now, a lot of that we know is basics, but a lot of it is just we, we just got to have that high of one more purchase. I can remember when Stephanie and I first got married, and uh, we had moved to Tuscaloosa, and all, the furniture we had was just my old bachelor furniture. It's actually stuff that, that Tim Lee and I had shared, and 
You know what that's like. And so it just it is, is these big, crazy ship pictures with blue and beige and this couch with all those multicolored. It was pretty nasty. And um, so we, we finally had gone to Haverty's and picked out this couch, man. It just was so beautiful. And for months we saved by that couch. And it was such a glorious day, the day we threw my bachelor stuff out and we put that couch in there. And let me just say, it, it's a high I still can remember. But I also can still remember a month later the disappointment that it was only a couch. It, it did nothing special. It did not even sit as well as my bachelor couch. It just lost it. And, and guys, so many times we think, if I can just get this, and temporarily, yes, it makes you feel better. Bring us to number two, hoarding. My goodness, we got a whole show on AE about hoarders. We've got a psychological designation today about the disease of hoarding. And, and it's an easy thing to do. That's what's going on with this, this rich man. He's just holding on to more and more and more. And I will, I will confess to you, I struggle with this. My philosophy about throwing things away is if there's a chance in the next 50 years, I might use it once, I'm keeping it. In fact, I get scared every time I go out of town what Stephanie's going to do with my stuff. So I've got cameras in the house to watch her. <laughs> I'm saying it's not a good trait because I've got a lot of stuff I'm never going to use and I don't need to use. I got so convicted reading one author this week who said, you go to your closet in the middle of the winter to get your newest stylish winter coat and you pass by the four coats you had bought before when you just passed a man downtown who had no coat. Because hoarding is not a good sign because it just says, guys, we just have too much stuff. Isn't it crazy? One of the greatest businesses in America today is storage rooms. Because we don't have any, enough room even in our attics, in our closets, to keep all the stuff we've got. And so we just, we just hoard. Now, number three is a, a sense of false security. That's what's going on with this man. Is he thinks his life's okay, and, and he can go ahead and retire and just have a big time. The problem is, everything you have could be taken away from you, like with this man, in a split second. Many, many of you suffered through the Great Recession a few years ago. I know so many members, some of you right in this audience, who are not able to retire because overnight you lost your savings and your retirement in the Great Recession. It happened like that. And guys, when you look at the crazy, volatile world we live in today, everything that we have purchased and have could easily go away with one crazy lunatic dictator in North Korea touching a button. It's not the place to put your security. It's okay to have it. It's not right or wrong. It's just if you think you're secure because of your savings, you're, you're, you're in a false mindset. Number four is worrying. Jesus talks a lot in this section about worrying. He says, you know, when you worry about food and clothes and shelters, when you're preoccupied with those things and not preoccupied with the kingdom of God, you know, we laugh about it, but Jesus says that worrying is a sin. 
As one author said, worrying is praying to yourself instead of praying to God. It's praying in the wrong direction. And so many of us who who live constantly with this sense of anxiety that am I going to be able to pay my rent? Am I going to be able to do this? Now, many of us, a lot of it's brought on by us because we, we overspend. We consistently spend more than we bring in. That's not a smart move. And yet many, many of us are blessed, and yet we live in this sense of worry and anxiety. It says it's become too important to us. Number five, you're possessed by your possessions. We, we would run into, if you read this in Luke chapter 8, a guy called the rich young ruler. He must have been quite a guy. When Jesus met him, the Bible says Jesus immediately loved him. There was something magnetic about this young man. Jesus questioned him about his obedience to God. He could actually claim that he'd kept all the commandments. But Jesus, who knows the heart, and that's where greed's a problem, is in the heart, could look through him and see that his possessions, he was a rich young man, meant too much to him. And so Jesus says, here's all you got to do to follow me, man. Just go sell everything you got. And the man walked away sad because his possessions possessed him instead of him possessing his possessions. Now, this is, I want to make this clear. Everybody in the Bible is not asked to sell everything. In fact, just a few. But, but Jesus knows the heart, so he knows when this is the issue. So here's my question for you and, and for me, quite frankly. If, if you knew Jesus were calling you to sell everything, would you be willing to do it? That's a difficult question. Because some people, he's going to ask that. Let, let me make it a little simpler. Do you own anything that's too important to you to loan to somebody else? Uh, years ago, I, I can remember coming to a point in my life where, where people were borrowing some stuff from me, and it was bothering me, and I, I knew it was bothering me too much. And so finally, I, I came to this conviction. If I ever owned anything that I could not loan to somebody else, I didn't need to own it. It just meant too much. So be careful about your possessions possessing you. Number six is compromising values. We're, we're going to meet a guy in just a moment, a tax collector. He's a Jewish man who's compromised every good value he ever grew up with. He, he's he's uh, compromised with the enemy. He's ripped people off, and yet he is super rich. You see, one thing about riches that's dangerous is not just itself, but what it causes us to do to get it. You see, the Bible is, is obviously not anti-rich people, but it's very open about it. Jesus says in this very section of Scripture, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then his disciples think, well, then nobody could be saved that's rich, which is probably all of us. And then Jesus said, but what's impossible with men is possible with God. But we would be really foolish if we didn't recognize our wealth creates a lot of temptations. For some people, man, I pray, God, they get wealthy because they've got a generous heart. For many of us, the worst thing to happen in our life would be to become wealthy. Uh, listen to what Paul says about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, those who, verse 9, those who want to get rich, want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, notice Paul did not say what we commonly say, money is the root of all evil. He says the love of money, that's the issue. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So that's number six. Be careful about what are you willing, are you willing to lie on your expense account? Are you willing to not be honest, honest with the IRS? Are you hiding things from your spouse? Number seven, and this to me, if you read these scriptures, this is the number one warning sign that you're a greedy person. I'm a greedy person. It's a lack of generosity. That's what we saw with this, um, this foolish rich man. He was not generous toward God. That's what we see through this passage. A good red light is, am I stingy with people? Especially poor people. Have I closed my heart to the poor? And have I closed my heart to God? That's an amazing warning signal in my life. When I just, I, I, I just, I get stingy. So, so what's the answer? We're going to see the answer at the end of this block of Scripture, frankly, in the most unlikely of person. If you, you took a poll of who was the greediest person in Israel, I imagine this guy would be high on the list. We know him as Zacchaeus, the wee little man. But he is a, a chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. He's in Jericho, a very prominent trading city where probably he made just bukoodles of money. And yet he's the guy who gets a handle on greed. I love the story. Look at verse 1, Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Here's a man who financially, possession-wise, had everything. And yet he was empty. There's an American philosopher, Rudyard Kipling, who years ago said this, someday, speaking of people with possessions, someday you'll meet a man who has none of these things and who is joyful, and you will find out just how poor you are. Well, Zacchaeus, this really rich dude, meets a really poor dude, Jesus Christ, who owned nothing. And he recognized how poor he was. And he wanted it. How bad did he want it? We, we think this is silly because we, we learned about it in Sunday school. He climbs this tree. My friends, in ancient traditional culture, for a man to climb a tree was an utter embarrassment. It's something you would never do in front of people. But this guy has come to the point of emptying in his life that, that he doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He wants to see Jesus. And then the cool thing happened. Jesus recognized it in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
people were shocked. This man did not care what people thought about him in climbing that tree. And our Savior Jesus did not care what people thought about him going to this man's house. And then some marvelous things happened. This guy gets a hand on his greed. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the mouth, the, the amount. What do you say? I'm giving half my possessions, possessions to the poor, and I am refunding way beyond what the law said you had to refund to people you cheated. Now watch what Jesus said. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. This man who was lost in his greed has met Jesus and he has been saved from that bondage. Now what's the answer? Our problem was we're obsessed with possessions. The answer is to be obsessed with Jesus. You see, guys, you can take some of the Bible words that appear to be bad, like covet and greed and even lust, and you can flip them over on their head, and they become good words. That's what Jesus says. Don't worry about everything, but be obsessed. Seek first the kingdom of God. I'll give you all that stuff. You just seek after me. And that's what happens with Zacchaeus. He is obsessed with Jesus. I ask you and I today, are you obsessed with things or are you obsessed with Jesus? The truth is, we're going to be obsessed about something. So how do we get a handle on this? Let me give you three practical points to work on this. Number one, practice simplicity with yourself. Again, only you can set the standard. But, but all of us need to decide what is enough. You know, if you're a young couple here or a young single person, you're, you're in a great place in your life. I heard one of you talking the other day that you, had, you and your wife had decided on how big a house you'd ever have. And no matter how much you make, that's as big as it'll get. And I can't make that decision for you, but you can make it for yourself. How much savings do you need? How much retirement do you need? What is enough? And guys, one of the great movements in our country today is a movement towards simplicity because we have cluttered our lives with so much that we are super busy just trying to acquire and keep care of our things. So unclutter. Give it away to people who need it. Have a yard sale, sell it, and give it to missions. But find a place of simplicity in your life. And get only you, we can't judge each other on this, but only you can do that. Find that simplicity. You, you'll, you'll be so much more blessed. And then number two, practice generosity toward others. Here's Paul's advice to people of means like most, most of us. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I challenge you today, go practice generosity. 
You know, give to someone who can't give back to you. Be open-handed with what you have. Bless people in the name of the Lord. And that'll help you overcome this. There's just something about nobody else knowing and you giving to somebody who can't give back to you that just incredibly blesses you. So this morning for Father's Day, uh, we, we, we have a Father's Day tribute today. And I was thinking, and we were thinking this week about this message, and, and let me just say this, we have so many incredibly generous people in this church. I mean, th- the list of people we could have chosen from is a mile long. But we chose a man that really is way behind the scenes in this church, a, a man who God has blessed but has been incredibly generous, and that's our brother John Dale. And we're going to hear from his, his daughter, Laura, who's just got in trouble sitting beside him on Father's Day. But Laura is going to talk to us about her daddy. I'm Laura Dockery, and I just want to tell you a little bit about my dad. Um, there are a lot of people in this world that are takers, but not my dad. He's a giver. Um, he always gave of his time when we were growing up. He took us on trips with him on the weekend to learn how to shoot BB guns at the farm, or he would take friends with us on his boat trips, and he spent an incredible amount of time with us when we were growing up. One of my fondest memories was getting on the back of his motorcycle and riding to Baskin-Robbins for ice cream cones, and he always figured out a way to to spend time with us doing things that we loved and, and really making us feel special, and I think that that has carried on in every aspect of his life. As a mother, I've always appreciated the fact that my dad spent extra time getting in the floor with my children, teaching them um, everyday skills in life. And he really took extra time to show them how to put air in a tire, how to change oil in a car, just the everyday skills that you need that he also taught us as as young children that I really took for granted when I realized as I've gotten older that many, many of my friends never had uh, the opportunity to learn those skills with their father. So I really appreciate the time he took with my kids. Dad is not only a giver of his time, but he's also a giver of um, finances. And he would be a little embarrassed about me saying this because he's very quiet, but he is a tremendous giver. He gives to people that um, need things, but he also gives with no strings attached. And he does that because he knows that it's the right thing to do, and he has been very generous because he's been very blessed. And I've seen my dad um, bail people out who were in financial straits in business and with expecting nothing in return. I've seen him take meals to people who were ill or just lend a helping hand to friends. Both of my parents shared their home with families when we were growing up. We had exchange students and families through Maxwell Air Force Base, and they were always gracious hosts and hostesses. And Dad always was looking for an opportunity to show hospitality to others and to do what he could to help others. Dad did so many things for others when we were growing up, and there were several times that I thought that he was actually being taken advantage of. And he always said that he was going to do the right thing, that it wasn't his problem, but that was the problem of the other person. That was between them and God. And so what I learned from Dad is that um, it's, it's the right thing to do to be generous and to do for others and to be giving and kind and gracious, um, despite what the return is for your investment. 
There's a story about um, a man that my father worked with very closely for years, and he had a very difficult time. He went through a divorce and ended up losing everything financially. And Dad essentially set him up in a business and gave him the business and expected nothing in return. Um, I've seen him do things like that on several occasions um, and just really not expecting anything back. And it's been so awesome to see so gracious and has really let the money that God has blessed him with pour through him and be able to bless others. Pop, we love you. Happy Father's Day. I love the line that Laura said over and over again there. He would give expecting nothing in return. So let's thank our friend for being such a good example to us. And again, there's so many great people in our church who are so generous. Let me give you one more point. This may be the most practical, and for many of us, this may be the most challenging, is you need to practice generosity toward God. I mean, you know, Old Testament times, there was this this 10% standard. In fact, God got so upset with his people who didn't tithe. In Malachi chapter 3, he charges them with stealing from him. That, that, that 10% was supposed to be such a regular part of giving to the house of God that to not do that was to steal from God. Now, we come to the New Testament, we go, well, buddy, that's, that's nice, but we live under the New Testament, and we don't have to pay attention to the, the 10%. Really? My, my good, it seems to me, uh, us who live under grace, who understand Jesus, who've been blessed even 100,000 times more, more than they were, the 10% would be a low standard. That, would, that might ought to be just the starting point for us. And guys, interesting, guys, through human history, this has been a standard of God, and it's not because just because the church needs it or the temple needed it. It's not certainly because God needed it. It's really because we need to do it. It's a statement that's made when on the top of my paycheck, Before I do anything else, I'm saying it first goes to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, the Scriptures promise when you obey God in this matter, He's going to bless you. Are you going to trust Him in this? Now, I I do appreciate Brother John Dale so much. He quoted me a few Sundays ago. He said, I've been watching the bulletin. We're way behind budget. Buddy, what are we going to do about this? That's the kind of heart he has. That's the kind of heart we need to have this year. Because you know what? We don't want anything to hold back the work of God. And we want to be obedient to God, and we want to bless God in our giving. So I know this is challenging to many of us. But I challenge you to look at what you're doing. And not simply for this church's sake, or, but for your sake, as a hedge against greed. That's a pretty big hedge. I'm giving to God first. I'm giving to God generously. And I I don't know how this may all work, but I'm going to trust God. You see, why would we be this generous? I I think we see the answer in Zacchaeus' story. Zacchaeus was so generous. I mean, he gave half of what he had, not 10%, because he was touched by the generosity of God. Because that's that's our, our motivation. We are touched by God's generosity to us. 
I get a point where I see, God, you've been so good and so generous to me. How can I not be generous? You see, what God wants is God wants it just to flow through you. See, he, he gives to you not as a dead end, but as a conduit. And guys, when we're greedy and tight-fisted, let me tell you what you're doing. You, you are keeping yourselves away from the blessings of God. Because when I'm tight-fisted and God wants to pour in my life, it just, it, it just is blocked. But I can only receive when I'm open-handed and God can give to me so I can give to others and I can glorify Him. You see, I love that statement in that story of Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to his house today. That's for many of us because we are under the bondage of greed. Salvation is not just about you not going to hell and going to heaven. It's about you breaking through some of these things that hold you in worry and bondage that you can be released from. And today I'm saying to you, salvation could come to your house on this subject today. So as the praise team comes up here, I want you to think, what do you, what do you, what do you need to do about this practically? Are you willing to go out and simplify? Are you willing to become more generous toward other people? Do you see some of these signs in your life? And you go, you know what? Man, I tell you what, I'm tired of living this tight-fisted. It is not, it's not any good. Maybe you even got everything you ever dreamed you'd have and more, most of us have. It is not fulfilling you. Why don't you let your hands loose and let God pour through you to somebody else? If today you need us to pray for you, if today you're ready to follow this radical Jesus who knows what's going on in your heart, if today you need to repent of some of the sin in your life, why don't you come right now so we can pray for you. Let's stand together and sing.